Genesis chapter 41 is where we're going to be today. Now, um, we were on uh, some vacation uh, last week, and uh, grateful to those of you who asked us how that went, and for those of you who were praying for us, you know, it feels a little bit weird, to be honest, to not be here on a Sunday, last Sunday, grateful for the job that Daniel did uh, for sure, but we had just a really great week. We had a really great time uh, kind of hanging around at home and doing little day trips. We, you know, hung out with some friends up north. We ended up uh, going to visit our uh, old church, Harvest Berry, and saw some friends uh, there. Again, we just kind of relaxed. We went and did some things. Angie and I uh, had a day uh, away together. We saw my family. We saw Angie's family. And, you know, I, I remember actually at one point, like halfway through the week, I don't know if you remember me saying this, but I remember being like, like, man, I feel so rested right now which is always like the holy grail of vacation feelings, isn't it? You know, it was one of those kind of, uh, kind of those funny, kind of great vacations, really, where it feels like we did a lot, we accomplished a lot of things, but at the same time, it was just so uh, restful and relaxing and uh, rejuvenating. And of course, uh, all of that is out the window now after a week of work, um, but that's okay. Um, now, okay, now, when your vacations or your holidays kind of... Uh, when they come to an end, when they're over, kind of how do you tend to feel? How do you tend to feel? Maybe, maybe you kind of feel like, uh, like, a, like we do a lot of the time where you're like, at the very end of it, you're like, man, I need another vacation after that vacation. Right? You ever felt like that on the last day and you maybe talked to your spouse about this before and you've been like, you know, imagine how, how amazing it would be to just have like one more week, right? One more week or, or even one more day. Imagine the the naps we would get in, right? And, you know, it just, how incredible would that be? And you just, you, you kind of long for that, right? You have that kind of approach to it. Or maybe you're sort of, you know, on the other side of the equation when your holidays end, and you're kind of like, you're kind of antsy, right? You're done with, you know, all the sitting around and, you know, all of the, you know, the rich food that you tend to eat and all of the money spent. And, and you're kind of like, I just, I just sort of, I want to get back to it now, right? I want to get to work. I want to get back to life as, as normal, all right, well, kind of regardless of how you handle or handle the end of a holiday, uh, we all have to face the reality uh, that holidays come to an end, right? We have to face that reality. Well, what we're going to be looking at today here is, is how to approach life when God graciously brings our, our various trials, our hardships, our sufferings to an end. Right? How are we supposed to approach life? You know, where, when we've kind of come out of it, where we've, we've learned the things that God wanted to teach us, right? We've, we've experienced the, you know, the, the growth. We've, we've been healed from the various heart issues and, and spiritual issues that we needed to grow through. We've, you know, we've come out of the other side of it with greater intimacy with God now than we ever did before. Okay? And so the question is, what should my mindset be like now? Right now that my trial is over. Okay, well, of course, we've been looking at the story and the life of Joseph uh, through our series here. And what we're going to see here is that he was a slave or he was in prison, kind of all of that, for 13 years. Right, 13 years. That is a long trial. Right, that, that's a long time to be, to be suffering and to be kind of going through all of that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing it did end, right? It did come to a close. It finished. And uh, so now what, right? So now what? That's a, that's a great question uh, to ask of this text. It's a great question to, uh, to ponder and to think about in your own life as well. And as we see here, as we're going to see, the Lord had some huge plans for Joseph, right? He had, he had a lot in store for him. And that's really the way that we need to approach it too, 
Whenever we come out to the end of a trial and, and, you know, and, and the relief comes and the joy is there again and, and the season is just is easier and better than it was before, okay, when my trial is over, we need to understand that God's intention is to use me more powerfully than ever before. Do you understand that? Are you ready for that? That's what we're going to be looking at here today as we jump into Genesis 41. Before we get into it, let's pray together. Lord, we come before you now recognizing that, uh, Lord, you uh, bring us through trials and challenges and, and difficulty, discipline, all of it, Lord. Uh, not so that we can just, you know, have more fun in life or, you know, kick our feet up or whatever it is. But, Lord, you have a plan for our lives. You have a plan to use us powerfully, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your, your grace to do that in our lives. Who are we? Lord, who are we that, that you would use us? And so, God, I pray Lord, that we would just humbly, as a church, submit ourselves to your word here today, Lord. I pray that uh, for those of us who have you know, come out of a trial, maybe, uh, maybe it was a long time ago, maybe it was very recently, Lord, I pray now that we would capitalize on the work that you have done in our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who are still in the thick of it, Lord, who are in a trial, who are, who are struggling and wrestling with the suffering and all of it, Lord. I pray that they would, again, be reminded and realize that you are accomplishing things in their heart and in their lives so that you can prepare them for a life sold out to you to make disciples. And so, God, would you help us as your church again, we pray. We bring this before you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I love that Genesis chapter 41 uh, is in the Bible, right? Because as much as we need to talk about our, our attitude and our approach and our understanding uh, of life during the trial, right, it's, it's equally important, okay, that we understand God's intention for us after the trial comes to a close, right? So crucial that we get that. Right, so far from you know, God just bringing us through all that pain and heartache and everything so that we can, again, just kind of you know, live a life of comfort and, and ease and you know, just kind of do whatever we want with life or, or just kind of coast until the next challenge comes along. Far from all of that, right, God intends to put you on mission. He intends to use you powerfully. Do you know that? Do you know that? I would ask you this too. Do you want that? Is your heart aligned with that? Right? He, uh, he allowed you to go through all of that suffering and all of that, that difficulty and grief to prepare you for greater usefulness for his kingdom. And that's really, I mean, we're really getting to the first thing here. So if you've got notes with you, take a look. It's realized that he's been working behind the scenes to prepare me for what's next. To prepare me for what's next. Now take a look at the text here. Uh, chapter 41, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through this. Right, it says this. I remember, remember we looked at this two weeks ago when I was here? Right, after two whole years. Right, Joseph, where, where was he in this time? He was in prison, wasn't he? And you remember the story from before? Remember how he had, uh, he had interpreted the chief uh, baker and the chief cupbearer's dreams? And he said to them, he's like, hey, just, just remember me when you go to Pharaoh and everything works out for you and the Lord brings these things to pass. Don't forget about me here because I am not here uh, for any good reason. And what, of course, did they do? Well, the, the baker, of course, was hanged, and, and the cupbearer, he was restored to his position and promptly forgot about him. And so after two whole years of sitting there and, and, and rotting and probably wrestling with the emotions and the discouragement and the frustration, all of it, after two whole years, look what happens. Pharaoh dreamed, right? Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, 
there came up out of the Nile seven, uh, seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And this is interesting, verse 4. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. Imagine awaking after something like that. You're like, what's that all about? Right? And then he falls asleep again and dreams a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears, so similar to what happened with the cows, swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Right? So you see what the Lord is doing. It should remind us of, of the dreams that you know, two years ago um, had been brought before him, right? with the cup, the cup bearer and the baker. And so you're like, hmm, interesting. The Lord's doing some things here. Uh, probably should pay attention to all of this. Right? Verse 8, keep going. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. Again, just like those other guys' spirits were troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Right? Probably not a good day for those guys. Then, verse 9, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. And you're like, all right. right? We give the little kind of fist pump because we know that Joseph's right, coming, about to come back into the picture here, into the story. He's like, I remember. Verse 10, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and, and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew, that's Joseph, was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. And listen to this, verse 14, so cool. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and then quickly, okay, how, how interesting is that word? That'd be a good word to underline right there. Quickly, because, how, I mean, we know, right, how, how quickly life can go sideways, right? All it takes is, is that phone call in the middle of the night. Some, some financial thing goes sideways. How quickly can life be go from, you know, blessing and ease to suffering and trial, right? We know that it can go it can go very fast. What's so cool to see here, though, is just as quickly, things can go from bad to really good. And you start to see here that, that Joseph's trial, it's over, right? It's over. And we're going to see how this all plays out here. So Pharaoh, right, he sends, he calls for Joseph. They quickly brought him out of the pit, out of the pit. Probably about the third time now we've seen that phrase because we know that uh, so far it's been the opposite. He's been thrown into a couple pits, he was thrown in by his brothers when he was sold into slavery. He was thrown into the prison by Potiphar and uh, all that nonsense. Well, now he's being brought out of the pit. Again, all signifying that Joseph's life is taking a radical, radical turn. And it says this, And when, they had sh when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Pretty incredible what's happening here uh, in the life of Joseph. Going one way, one way, day after day, month after month, year after year, two years of all of it. All of a sudden, bam, right? Things change. They turn on a dime, right? Turn on a dime. Now, it's amazing to realize that, you know, as Joseph, he would have, he would have absolutely struggled with, you know, the length of time that he was in prison. It was the two years. He would have struggled with the fact that all of it was unfair, unfair. He didn't deserve all of that. 
right? What we can see is that the whole time, right, the entire time that he's in prison, what is the Lord doing? He's setting the stage, right? He's setting the stage behind the scenes, you know, causing the, the dreams of the baker. He's causing the dream of, of the cupbearer. And then two years later, he's causing the dream of Pharaoh. And then he kind of connects all of it back to Joseph and brings him out of prison. And again, the trial is over. Isn't it amazing when you start to think about how the Lord has moved, how he has set the stage and done all of that behind the scenes? Did Joseph have any clue that it was all going to culminate like this? No, he didn't. No. You know, it's just, it's just so easy. It's too easy for us to go through, you know, our life challenges, our trials, and really wonder and ask ourselves, you know, the question, you know, why is this happening? You know, what is going on right now? My life is a mess, right? And maybe it's not even something that you cause. It's just things that are happening to you. And, and, and we often get to the question, like, what good could happen out of this? Right? What good could come of it? Well, I've got the answer for you. One word. Lots. Right? Lots of good can come uh, from your trials. Right? It's because, again, it's so easy for us. We read this Joseph narrative, and we kind of see the story, and, and we, it's easy for us to kind of think, well, obviously, you know, the Lord is, you know, setting the stage behind the scenes in his life, and he was doing that, and most of us know this story and how it's going to play out and how the Lord's going to use him mightily and how the Lord did all of that. We kind of see all of that, and we know what came, uh, came next. We get it. God was working in Joseph's life, but then what do we struggle with? We struggle to realize that God does the exact same thing with us. Right? He does the exact same thing. It's no different. When you're going through something difficult, when you are going through something just heart-wrenching, heartbreaking, challenging, emotionally, you're just a train wreck, all of it because of the circumstances in your life, know that God is doing something with that. He may seem silent, but it's usually and often in the most silent times the Lord's actually uh, doing his hardest work. And we need to remember that as we see that in the life of Joseph. So understand this, okay? When you come through your trial, okay, when you come out of that and you're on the other side of it, know that, that what you went through, all of the pain, right? All of the, the confusion and the fear that gets kind of, we get kind of wrapped up in, know that it was preparation for God's future plans for your life. It was preparation for future plans, Okay, first of all, we need to realize that. Okay, and then I would also encourage you, get excited about it. Right? Get excited about that. How amazing, how incredible is it that the Lord would desire to use people like you and me? Right? He doesn't just use pastors. Right? He wants to use every single person sitting here. And every challenge, every difficulty that, we, difficulty that we go through, he doesn't want to waste that. He doesn't want to see that wasted. He wants to use it for his glory Right? He wants to use your, your difficult experiences for his great purposes. Okay? And too often, we kind of lack that, that awareness uh, of understanding all of that, and we forget, and we get our eyes off of the Lord and, and onto the details and the circumstances of our life, and we, we lack that realization that, that the newfound maturity that we've experienced as we've come through the trial and the wisdom that God has given us and, and the transformed heart that loves him and loves his ways more than anything, all of that was really God like putting us through boot camp. Right? He, was, he was preparing us for deployment. That is what God is doing. He, he's getting you ready to be sprung into action for his glory. Do you realize that? 
Do you know that? Are you on board with that plan? You need to coach yourself. Right? You coach yourself through this. Look, I know I don't see the end of this. I know I don't know exactly where this is going, and I don't know all of the details, but I got to trust you because you tell me to. You command me to trust in you. His ways are not our ways. We're not always going to know what they are, and then when he reveals them to us, uh, it's amazing. Okay, so be ready. Be ready for whatever he's got planned for you next. All right, when my trial's over, God's intention is to use me more powerfully than ever. Okay, so second thing, okay, humbly give him the glory every time I make an impact for his kingdom. Okay, humbly give him the glory every single time uh, you make an impact for his kingdom. All right, let's take a look at verse 15 now and see how this all plays out. Right, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, okay, so listen to kind of the, the trajectory here in, in what uh, Pharaoh's thinking. He said, I've heard, I've heard it said that you, of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Okay, so who is Pharaoh kind of like automatically giving glory to here? He's giving glory to Joseph. He's like, the, the power must reside within you. You must be pretty special. You must be kind of like better than one of my, my magicians here. But I love Joseph's response. Again, this is worthy of highlighting in your Bibles. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. It is not in me. Right? God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Love that. Love the attitude, love the deflection there, love that Joseph didn't claim that at all. You can tell, it's, and we'll see it as we go here, it's more than just words. You know, like, praise God for what he's done, glory to him. But all the time we're like, yeah, right, taking it, own it. That's not Joseph here, right? No, it's, it's, it's legitimate, right? He wants to give God the glory. So what does it say? Verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream. And so what he does, he starts to explain then uh, the two dreams that he has, and he kind of explains it as, as basically one dream. So he walks him through all of that. Jump down to verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. And then notice how he repeats himself here. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. How, how, how amazing is this when you kind of contrast this with where Joseph was at back in chapter 37? Right? Joseph get, has, has dreams of his own, right? Of, of of his family bowing to him. Was there any mention of, you know, God did this for me, and man, glory to God for this dream that he's given me? No, Joseph wasn't there at all. He's like, I'm pretty awesome. I had these dreams. You, you know, punk older brothers, you guys are going to be bound to me in the future here, right? He, he totally, he was all about himself. He was very him-centered, Joseph-centered through all of it. But he's not there anymore, right? So he's revealing to Pharaoh what, what he's about to do. That's the Lord, verse 26. The seven good cows, he explains it now, and are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. Their dreams are one. The, the lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears of corn uh, or grain blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, he says it again, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Glory to him all the way. Verse 29 there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be for, uh, forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. Okay? And then the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly 
bring it about. And so he's saying the doubling of the dream uh, means that God's about to make this happen real quick. Right? So you better pay attention uh, to the word of the Lord here, Pharaoh. Okay, verse 33. Now, therefore, he gives some advice. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. By the way, I don't think he had a clue that this was about to be him. Right? Do you think he would have? I doubt it. I mean, he's in prison. There's maybe no even guarantee that he wasn't going right back there after this, you know, 10 minutes worth of work uh, was going to happen. But he's like, this is what needs to happen because the Lord gave him this word. Set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. The food, that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Okay, this, this proposal, this is verse 37, pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? More about that in a sec. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Now, at first glance here, it kind of looks like, well, you know, it's capital G, God. Is, is Pharaoh giving glory uh, to the Lord God for all of this? Well, maybe he was kind of starting to see it here. Uh, but the way that that word is used in, in the Hebrew, it's actually the word Elohim. You've probably heard that word before. And, and it can mean in the Hebrew, God's plural. Okay, so it's not likely that he's actually giving glory to the God uh, of Joseph here. But interestingly enough, when, when Joseph uses the word God, remember we looked at it back in verse 25 and, and back in 28, and then also in 32, it's actually uh, ha-Elohim, meaning the one true God. And so Joseph is, is very careful and very specific to say that the one true God will give you a favorable answer. The one true God is going to save Egypt here if you listen to him. Right? I love that. Glory to the Lord every step uh, of the way here um, for uh, Joseph. And so you begin to see the impact that he's having here, right? Like a pretty, a pretty incredible day. Right? He goes from, you know, in prison again to, you know, what we're going to see here in front of, you know, showered, shaved, in front of the king of Egypt. I mean, and then, and then given, this, given this new role and this new task, we're going to see about that uh, in a second here. Right? And it just, I mean, what Joseph shared here, right, it was the Lord that did it through Joseph. But what Joseph told Pharaoh was about to change this entire nation. Right? That, that's like some serious impact. Right? It, wasn't just, it wasn't just a couple of words that were exchanged. It was like massive history reorientation taking place here. Now, one of the most thrilling things that you will experience in your walk with the Lord, you know, is when the Lord begins to use you to make an impact for his kingdom. Have you seen that happen? Have you experienced that as you've grown, as you have come out of your trial and all the newfound wisdom and, and, and the things that you have learned through those times? You start, to, you start to be able to, you know, the Lord starts bringing about conversations that you have with people and you're able to share that and the Lord seems to be using you powerfully in their lives and then people are, you know, people are growing and becoming, uh, you know, better disciples through all of it. I mean, amazing, right, when the Lord begins to use you through all of this and I'm tr I trust that you've seen that in your life. Right, one of my favorite things uh, that I always loved was, was listening to youth leaders uh, talk about 
why they wanted to be youth leaders. Have you ever wondered about that? Like, why would somebody ever want to be a youth leader, right? Working with guys like this and stuff. Like, why, why would they? Love you, man. Love you. But why, why, why would you want to do that, right? And I loved it. Almost every time and almost every single leader, their, like, number one answer was that I don't want to see students make the same mistakes that I've made. I don't want to see that. And so what had often happened is that the leaders themselves have, have gone through the trials. They've made some mistakes. Maybe they've suffered, you know, the discipline at the hand of the Lord. They have grown and learned some things. And now in them, there is this burning desire to disciple others who need the wisdom that they've been given. Right? And they love it. And there's a fire for it. And that was, I mean, like the main reason I ever became a youth pastor. Because I wanted to see students not make the same dumb mistakes that I made. Right? They, they, wanted to, they wanted to be used. They wanted to you know, have an impact for the kingdom. I love that. Now, obviously, you know, the Lord doesn't call everybody to youth ministry, and I know all God's people said amen uh, to all of that. Um, okay, but maybe, that you, maybe you have noticed that after a season of, of hardship, the Lord started using you more powerfully. Again, you started to sense that. You started to see that. And your impact, you noticed, like, wow, it's, it, it's, it's, it's way greater than, than it was before I went through all of that. Well, it's in those moments that we have to remember, just like we see Joseph remembering and realizing and knowing here, we have to remember that it's God who gets the glory. Right? It's God who gets the glory. Because in our pride and in our flesh, the temptation is always going to be to think, you know, that I'm the one doing this. Right? I'm the one doing this. Wow, look at all the things that I've learned Look at, look, at, look at the wisdom that I've got now. You know, you know how, how fortunate the Lord is to have me on his team, right? That's, those are kind of the things that, you know, would we say that out loud? Unlikely, unlikely, but it's, but it's kind of in like the, the bedrock of our heart, right? And, and in our pride, especially in the early days where, where we've yet to really kind of season and, and mature, we start to, we start to think that, now, this is really, this is my doing. Look at the impact that, that I'm having. And, you know, I must be, you know, I must be pretty great. Okay, that Joseph was able to legitimately give the glory to God for the impact that he was having came as a direct result of the fact that the Lord had so deeply humbled him through his difficult circumstances. Right, he, he, was, he, was, he was disciplined, right? He was... He was in a trial. He changed. That the pride that was there just a few chapters ago is not there, you know, anymore. And so the next time that you're tempted to kind of hold on to that glory for yourself and, and take the compliment that God gives you and, and receive it only for yourself and not remember that the Lord has done this, remind yourself, okay, remind yourself that the abilities that you have to serve the kingdom were given to you by God. They were given to you by him. And just maybe, you know, on the, on the, on the, before you suffered all of that, that difficulty, you weren't in the position to be used very well, right? And so now you have to realize that these things that God has given me, I must, I must steward these gifts and these abilities well, right? I, I must handle them. I don't want to see them go to waste. I don't want to see, I, just, I don't want to just bury these things in the ground. I want to act. And that really leads us to the next thing here. When my trial is over, God's intention is to use me more powerfully than ever. Okay, so know that the responsibility and influence that he gives me must be used wisely. Must be used wisely. Okay, take a look at verse 40 now. Look what 
Pharaoh says. He says, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Right? This is wild, what's happening. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Got to be over now. Oh, wait, no, it keeps going. And, and clothed him in garments of linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Now that garment of linen, isn't that kind of a reminder of the robe that his father had given to him and had been stripped away from him? So you see, he's being, he's re, he's being redeemed here, right? This is, this is Joseph's redemption. This is him coming out of the pit. And, and that whole awful season that he had gone through was, was over now. And now there, there is something that God has for him to do here. It's honor, it's, it's restoration, it's relief, it's, it's new joy and, and new heights with the Lord. Again, it's not over. Verse 43, and he made him ride in his second chariot. Okay, so Joseph becomes, you know, Mr. Big Deal here, right? And they called out before him, bow the knee. Right? So people had to like actually bow when Joseph came by. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent... No one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt, right? And, then, and, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanathah. Oh, that's kind of butchered, isn't it? Zephanath, there it is. Panea, and gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Okay, so you're looking at this and you're like, Wow. Again, just like, I imagined it to be like 10 minutes ago. The guy's just like, I wonder if I'm going to get a meal today. You know, and now, now, he's, now he doesn't only have like a nice clean shave. He's put on the brute aftershave. He's standing in front of the, you know, the king of Egypt. Now he's like handed the keys to the kingdom. You can just imagine Pharaoh like with the big gold scissors cutting the ribbon. This is like Joseph Day, you know, from here on forth, uh, here on forth forevermore, right? He's given this, this new Egyptian name, which is to signify the authority that he had been given. He's got a new wife now. Like everything changed in a blink of an eye for Joseph. Okay, keep going. Joseph, because we got to wonder here, now the question is, Joseph's been given all these things. How is he going to handle it? How is he going to handle it? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Okay, verse, verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old. Okay, he was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so we know, I mean, we can kind of do the math from chapter 37. He was 17 when he got sold into slavery. So about 13 years uh, between then and now. Okay, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And what did he do? He went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of those seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Okay, so Joseph, okay, Joseph, he's been given this responsibility now, right? He's been given this, this influence now, and then what does he do with it? He executes, right? He carries out the mission. He accomplishes the task that he had been given, and he does it effectively. He does it the way that the Lord wanted to. He does it wisely. So listen, I'm, I'm just going to cut right to the chase here, okay? If your trial is over, 
all right, and, and, and you would notice that it's, it's in the rearview mirror. It is, it is behind you, and, you know, you've learned some great things, and the Lord has, you know, purified you in that time and, and humbled your pride, and it has drawn you close to him, and you have greater intimacy with ever before, but, but you're just kind of sitting there, not really doing anything with it. Listen, it is a failure of the highest degree. It's a complete failure because you're, you're squandering what you've learned, right? You're not taking the opportunity that God has given you to do great things for him and for his kingdom, to be a great blessing in the lives of others. You're just kind of sitting on that yourself, and you're wasting it, and listen, none of that is good. None of that is good. Now, not that the Lord's plans could ever be stopped. Do we understand that? Right? The Lord is sovereign. You know, if, if we fail to obey, he, that's not going to like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Right? Like, it's, it's not like any of that's happening. Right? The Lord is on the throne yesterday, today, and forever. He's not surprised by any of it. But just try to imagine with me here, if, uh, if Joseph took this newfound freedom that was given to him, all of this responsibility, the power, the influence, all of it, and then he just kind of did nothing. Right? Try to imagine what, what would have happened here. You know, if he just kind of squandered the opportunities, like, Lord, thanks for, for like, the get-out-of-jail-free card, right? It's essentially what he was given. But then, like, you know, does nothing after that. What would have happened? It would have changed history. It would have changed history. It would have changed everything. Okay, Egypt, you know, probably would have perished in this famine. All the nations of the world that, that ended up coming to Egypt for food, they wouldn't have been able to do that. Endless amounts of destruction could have taken place. Joseph's family, as we'll read about next week, they would never have had, had a need to come to Egypt and, and get food and then come face to face with Joseph again and have to work all of that out here. Right? Imagine what would have happened if Joseph did not act wisely. Right? The, the Israelite nation never would have come to Egypt. Right? Joseph is the whole, the whole uh, the, the bridge of that gap where Israel came to Egypt, and I mean, we never would have had the Exodus, right? The Bible itself uh, would have changed. Now, again, I just want to reiterate, right? The Lord is not foiled by our plans. He is sovereign. He is in uh, control, okay? But listen, we need to be wise. We need to be extremely wise. When the Lord sets you up to be used mightily by him, do it. Do it. Act wisely. Engage. Carry out the mission. Do not squander this. I want you to think about right now, some of you who are kind of in that season, and, and maybe you're not really following the Lord, and, and you're kind of pushing against him in all of this. Try and think about all the different ways that the Lord might want to use you in people's lives here at our church alone. Right? Imagine if you didn't do that. People's lives may not change. Some others, you know, may not grow in Christ. There's a lot at stake here. There really is. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of responsibility and influence that the Lord wants to give us. And, and you need to be thinking about this and, and commit to the Lord. I want to be, be effective in my disciple-making. I want to be used because the Lord wants to accomplish much through you. He wants to use you for a lot. And here's something that I've found really helpful, and I believe it was Pastor James uh, McDonald, who I heard say it once, um, he says that if we, if we choose 
not to do the thing uh, that the Lord has told us to do. You know, if we disobey, here's the thing, here's what's going to happen. He'll find someone else to do it, and we'll miss the blessing. He'll find someone else. And you might be like, sounds good. Sounds good. I'd rather let someone else do it. I'd rather just kind of live my life the way I want to live it. Listen, who knows best? Right? You or God? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. He has, he has so much that he wants to do in you and through you. Don't miss out on that. Don't think that your wisdom is more wise than God's wisdom. It's not. Trust him. Be wise about this. Okay, last thing here. Last thing. When my trial is over, God's intention is to use me more powerfully than ever. Okay, so understand that while the Lord will use me, I'm still a work in progress. I'm still a work in progress. This is so, so important here. Take a look at verse 50. We'll read the rest of the chapter here. It says, Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Um, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship, which sounds good, and all my father's house. Now, when you read that, are you, does that kind of hit you funny? Right? You're like, oh, like that's, that's good that he would forget his hardship, but he wants to forget his father's house? I mean, it kind of it sounds like maybe, you know, maybe there's some unfinished business left yet to do in, in, in Joseph's heart here, right? Maybe he's not, you know, he hasn't arrived really at anything. I don't know. I, I, I kind of see that here. He wants to forget his father's house. It sounds like, I don't know, something between him and his brothers yet to be dealt with. I don't know. Maybe the Lord will deal with that later. We'll see. Okay, spoiler alert, he does. Okay, but here we go. This verse 52. Okay, the name of the second he called, this is the second son, Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So that's cool. That's a great approach there. Great attitude. Verse 53, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, this is incredible, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. I mean, it's just how much he trusted the character and the person of Joseph, right? And uh, obviously, again, glory to the Lord. Verse 56. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was so severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was so severe in all the earth. Now, I remember... Um, when the Lord uh, brought me towards the end of kind of the first significant trial uh, that I had ever gone through, kind of in my early 20s, I remember kind of coming out at the end of that, and I like legitimately actually believed that, uh, that I had arrived at maturity. Can you believe that? I remember like actually, I remember, I remember where I was. I remember praying to the Lord. I was in my parents' neighborhood and just being like, wow, Lord, you, you've done so much in my life. And it was true, he had done. He'd done a lot in my heart for sure. I remember thinking like, what more could there be to accomplish? I remember thinking that. And you're like, oh, like poor, you know, unwise, foolish Mike, right? That, that's what you're thinking. That's, that's what I realize now. But listen, just like I believe that Joseph still had some, you know, you know, heart issues and, and some family issues that he needed to kind of work through. Listen, we need to understand that we still have our issues too. We still do, even on the other end of the trial. 
even when things have come and there's so much joy and there's so much blessing and there's so much excitement and wow, the Lord's using me to make an impact and, and other people seem to be you know, blessed by what the Lord has done in me and this is so incredible. It's, it can be very easy for us to think like, well, what, more, what more trials do I need to go through? What more things do I need to learn? I've, I've, I've probably arrived. I've probably got it all figured out. Right? I love that we have this little reminder in here of Joseph and how he still needed to work it out. And you know what? We do too. Where we, we have to remember, we have to understand that just because God uses us in big ways, it's not because we're perfect. It's not because we're all that impressive at all. It's definitely not because we have any sin, uh, no sin left in us. Right? Why is it? Why does the Lord choose to use us? Well, it's because he delights in using weak vessels like you and I to display his glory and grace, his power. Right? He loves to do that through weak people like us. Okay, you and I, we need to remind ourselves that we are very much still a work in progress. We're very much a work in progress. Okay, so minimizing or, or ignoring the reality of, of our sin or the fact that we've still got a long way to go in our sanctification, all that does is hinder our usefulness in God's hands because it starts to bring out the pride. It starts to bring out the pride in our hearts. Okay, so the more honestly, the more kind of forthcoming we just kind of admit our sin and admit our frailty and, and abide in him and cling to him and cry out to him for his power uh, in our lives, the more that the Lord's going to do just that. He's going to pour out his power. He's going to pour out his grace on you. He's going to continue to use you mightily as he transforms you and uses you in the transformation of others. And awesome. Love that. Okay, that we're a work in progress is, what is it? It's really a reminder of our constant need for the gospel, isn't it? It's a reminder of our need from the gospel, uh, for the gospel at every moment. Right? Christ died to wipe out the penalty of our sins and then make it, I love this part, make it as though, this, this is how, how forgiven we are. Okay? He makes it so that it's as though we never sinned in the first place. Right? That is how thorough our forgiveness is when we come to Jesus Christ for the very first time and trust him as Lord. Right? So if you have not done that today, do it. Just recognize your sinfulness. Recognize your brokenness. Recognize that all of it is an affront. All of it is against God. It is a stench in his nostrils. Just admit it. Confess it to him and realize that that's why Jesus went to the cross. So that all of that punishment that was coming your way could be transferred and poured out on Jesus once and for all. Would you trust him as your Savior? Would you do it? Okay, and then understand this, especially if you've already trusted Christ as Lord. Understand that your salvation is ongoing. Okay, it's ongoing. Not in the sense that we need to, you know, continually be justified over and over again. Justification is what happens when you first put your faith in Jesus Christ. It means declared righteous. That's what I just described and challenged people to do if they haven't done it already. So our salvation is not ongoing in the sense of uh, justification, but in the sense of our sanctification, right? our sanctification, which is the ongoing process of, of becoming more like Jesus, right? the ongoing process of learning how to sin less, learning how to give over more and more of our heart, surrender more and more of our lives to Jesus, that process of Lord giving us new hearts that desire to follow him, that desire to worship him above all, that desire to have our you know, various heart idols that we all struggle with, come crashing down. Okay, so understand that and, and don't ever stop crying out for his grace. Don't ever stop crying out for his power. 
as the work in progress continues. Listen, you and I are all on the same page at the end of the day. You know, we're all still, we're st- all still being worked on. But so listen, Harvest. Listen. God doesn't put you through hard seasons. He doesn't discipline you. He doesn't put you through trials for no reason or, or because he's like, you know, he gets a kick out of it or something like that. He likes to watch you squirm. That's not what it is. Okay, he, he does it so that he can, he can accomplish far more through you as you apply what you've learned, right? As you apply the things that he has taught you. And so what I want to do is I really want to challenge you this week Challenge you to do kind of uh, look 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 in within yourself. Look look at your own heart and your own life. Do like a spiritual inventory, as I've talked about before, and really think about this. Am I am I springing into action and being used powerfully for God's glory as much as I should be, or am I holding back? Am I holding back? Do I do I still fear? Do I lack courage? You know, am I too focused on the here and now and my life and my comfort and my ease? And now that life is good, I'm kind of, you know, pushing God to the back burner and all of that. You know, I challenge you to think about that. Really do that assessment. Our small groups are going to be talking about that very thing this week. Am I holding back anything? Might be small, might be big. Or am I allowing the Lord to use me more powerfully than ever before. Do you want that? That's what I want to see our church become. A church who's just sold out to this. Right? We, we don't just come on Sundays and then leave. No, we're like committed. Our hearts surrendered to him. Lord, use us. Use even me. Great ma- mentality. Great approach, Lord, to your glory. Do it.